0: A lot of people are pouring the wrong gas in the gas tank. You know, they're not eating the foods that are whole natural foods. They're eating packaged processed foods, fast foods, and foods that just degrade energy metabolism because they cause metabolic gridlock on the, in the cell. That when you're eating high-fat, high-carb foods, what you start seeing is you start filling up ectopic fat stores, which is fat where it's not supposed to be in the body. And when that happens, that's when you really start seeing metabolic dysfunction. So there's just as many people out there that are metabolically unhealthy and lean that are not obese, but they still are having metabolic
1: dysfunction. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a podcast for you to relax, drift off, and allow your mind to wander. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and researcher on a mission to share information that will help you live happier, healthier, and with more love, optimism, and wisdom. This podcast features interviews with well-known guests, and world-leading experts about what it truly means to be human and what we can do to become the very best versions of ourselves. On today's Unwind, we have an extremely special guest, Dr. Molly Malouf, who is just so brilliant I have been counting down the days to speak to her about her new breakthrough book, The Spark Factor. The book is a bible for optimizing health in so many ways. Dr. Molly is a world-leading pioneer in the field of functional health and biohacking. She lectures at the medical school at Stanford University and has her own personalized medicine practice, helping CEOs, athletes and world-leading professionals optimize their health and performance. Since 2012, this wonder woman has also worked as an advisor for more than 40 companies in the digital health, consumer health, and biotechnology industries. Dr. Molly is radically changing our understanding of health by sharing the latest breakthrough science in a way non-medically trained people can understand and ensuring we have actionable tools we can all use to take advantage of it. In her new book, The Spark Factor, Dr. Molly generously shares all her research, findings, and insights into an easy-to-understand read. I have been poring over Dr. Molly's new book since I got my hands on a copy, and truly my mind has been blown. I would love for you to share a passage of writing that means something to you. All right. I wrote this about the nature of
0: existence. I don't know if it's a poem. I don't know what it is, but hope you enjoy it. The electrochemical gradient is light. Voltage is healing. Yin and yang must exist together. Light and shadow. Matter and dark matter. Polarity creates light. The polarity of positive and negative charges produces electricity. The nature of love is polarity. Falling in love leads to union, and union produces more life. Exploding supernova stars create insane energy and birth new galaxies. With more union, polarity may diminish. With more attachment, there is more security, more merging, deeper bonds. But over time, this may lead to less passion, but more trust and companionship. At the end of the day, we cannot attach without future grief. Life is suffering. Love creates suffering when it is lost. With all growth, there will be eventual decay. But energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed those we love aren't gone, but just transformed into energy. There is no end, just the changing of forms.
1: That is so beautiful and has so many things in it to unpack. What inspired you to write that to begin with? You know, I sit around thinking
0: about existence and like what life is about, what's the meaning of life. And I, I think a lot of people live and just kind of go through the motions, but I've always been obsessed with what life is about. And why do we suffer? And like, what is the root of human suffering? And um, that was a desire of mine since I was a child. Now as an adult, I actually feel like I completely understand a lot of the nature of existence. But it was studying love that actually made me truly really realize like how challenging life is for so many people. Because we think of love as this like Disney movie of beauty and stories and love songs, But when you really start studying it, you realize that like With great love comes great loss for everyone. Mm. And that is part of the nature of our existence. And yet, more than ever, I really don't believe life ends after we die. I really believe that there's just this transformation that changes. And we just change forms. And that really gives me a level of comfort. I used to have as a child who was like a little good Christian girl believing in heaven and hell. But I don't really believe in that anymore. I actually just believe that like there's this field of infinite intelligence and beauty underneath everything of which life emerges and which all life returns.
1: That is such a wonderfully reassuring thing to hear and even more reassuring when I hear it from someone like you because you are so rigorous in your research. You're so rigorous in your understanding. And so I think, well, if you believe that, then I certainly can believe that because nothing goes through your brain without deep level of questioning. And I think this nicely brings us on to your book because, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like this book is an introduction to so many people who have been failed uh, by the medical system. And it's a gateway into re-understanding your health in a new way.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I realized in my medical practice and then just like practicing medicine and working in hospitals since I was a child, like I was ninth grade when I first started, I was like a, just a teenager when I first started working in hospitals, was that the vast majority of what I was seeing was not complex diseases. It was really the same chronic conditions that were plaguing humanity and they all had the same risk factors and so for my entire adult medical career I was just asking like why why is it that 80% of diseases are preventable what is this underlying dysfunction that's causing disease and it led me to mitochondrial health it led me to understanding energy and the physics of the cell which if you understand how energy works you realize that like when your body is like the house of you and when energy get, starts getting dysregulated, then essentially things start to break down, just like a house that would get power cut to it by 50%. And if that happens, then organs don't function properly and things just start to break here and there. And so mitochondrial dysfunction, I believe, and in insulin resistance and metabolic dysfunction is actually under underneath a lot of chronic metabolic diseases like cancer, diabetes, heart disease, dementia, as well as a lot of mental illness. And there's a great book by this guy, Christopher Christopher Palmer is his name. He's a medical doctor at Harvard. And he wrote this book, Brain Energy. And it's basically like the same thesis of book as mine. It's the same thesis. It's like a lot of mental illness is metabolic in nature. And the reason why our metabolisms break down and mental illness emerges is often because of stress and significant life stressors of which, you know, if you look at the causes of a lot of the DSM diagnoses of mental illness, a lot of them are actually social injuries. So to me, understanding metabolism... And understanding human connection and disconnection, that is what leads to a greater understanding of disease.
1: This is why I think your work is probably the most important on this planet, because obviously I, I truly, because, you know, I obviously I work in depth in mental health, and yet I'm beginning more and more, and your book confirms this, we're almost approaching mental health in totally the wrong way. Your work and your book really demonstrates what going to the root can do and how transformational that can be. But I think that it would be great to kind of break down these concepts. So can we just start from the basics? Why is our mitochondria important, and how does this affect our body, and why is this related to this whole spark factor theory of yours?
0: The mitochondria are the batteries of the cells, the capacitors of the cells, the power plants of the cells. They basically create and store charge. And they not only do that, but they also are involved with biosynthesis, which means when you are producing neurotransmitters, when you're producing sex hormones, stress hormones, when you're actually activating the immune response, all of that is mitochondrial mediated. And that means they're epigenetic regulators. What does that mean? That means that your genes are just the plans of the cell. But how those get expressed is determined by the signals that the body is sent and the mitochondria are integrating into chemical messengers, such as neurotransmitters and, and hormones. So arguably, they're like the general contractors of the cell. They're literally deciding, like, what is your body going to do? Is it going to try to survive or is it going to try to reproduce or connect, right? Is it going to feel safe or is it going to feel unsafe? And if it feels unsafe, then basically it literally changes its metabolism to go into survival mode. And that's part of the reason why a lot of people struggle with weight loss. A lot of people struggle with metabolism issues because their mitochondria are under such chronic threat because of work stress, financial stress, environmental stress, that they can't actually function properly. And because we live in these environments of massive food availability all the time and cheap processed food availability, most people reach to food that satiates these primitive drives of salt, sugar, and fat. And when that happens, you know, and you overconsume these foods, you start getting metabolic dysfunction. You start seeing a lot of disease emerge because people are feeding the fear that they have with food that is poisoning their bodies.
1: Why would being under stress cause the mitochondria to not work as well?
0: Well, it's not that they don't necessarily work as well. It's that they are literally taxed. Like you literally have to use energy to handle stress. So, anybody who's experienced a significant emotional experience, like gone into a fight with a loved one, or like gotten yelled at by their boss at work, or like got really bad news and got really emotional, you know that that feeling of just feeling drained after that stressful experience. It's like your body had to use energy. Emotion is just energy in motion, right? But lots of emotion is a lot of energy in motion. And it's very draining to the nervous system and to to the mitochondria. You just have to use the energy. It's like batteries. So think about yourself like in a video game. When you think about a video game character and they are like on a mission and like something bad happens to them on that mission, their energy levels go down until they die, right? And then they get new lives. But similarly, this happens
1: to us on a cellular level. You know, stress drains the battery. Stress drains the battery. How would somebody be able to tell that perhaps their mitochondria is underperforming? I mean, a big one is, I hate to say it, but how do you feel
0: when you wake up in the morning and what do you look like in the mirror? When people are in environments that tax their energy, that drain their batteries. So you will look different when you have low energy. So when I had COVID, my skin went from bright, shiny, and illuminated to gray and sallow. So that's typically a good sign. It's like, what what does your skin look like when you wake up in the morning? Do you have light coming out of your face or literally is your skin absorbing light? Like, are you dark to begin with? And then another one is just like, how do you feel throughout the day? Like, what is your general sense of well-being? Like, do you feel completely drained constantly or do you feel like you have enough energy to meet your needs? Typically, when you have high energy capacity, you have more than enough energy to meet your demands.
1: And then how is
0: mitochondria
1: related to immunity? Okay, so this is a big one. And
0: a lot of people don't realize this, but basically a lot of the things that damage the body and cause inflammation are things that affect mitochondrial function. So things like toxins, things like eating the wrong foods, things like drinking poor water quality, breathing air that isn't clear, eating foods that cause allergies in the gut, getting infections, All of these are having to be integrated and sensed and addressed. And so what I believe happens is like there's a relationship between the immune cells and mitochondria and the gut and the mitochondria. There's essentially mitochondrial microbiome crosstalk. And then there's mitochondria immune system crosstalk. And so essentially what's happening is the body says, oh, my God, there's something I need to react to. I need to address this. I'm going to mount the immune response. So the body starts activating immune cells and inflammation is literally basically your body saying, I need to defend myself against something that's damaging.
1: I think for the first time, people have started to become collectively aware of energy levels because long COVID brought this new conversation. And so many more people were experiencing out of nowhere, suddenly a loss of energy, they were fine. And then it wasn't just a month recovery. Sometimes, you know, we're looking at nine months, 12 months, what was happening there? How could COVID spark this complete reduction of energy?
0: So the summer of 2019, I was studying viruses and I was like really weirdly like obsessed with viruses that summer. I was like, we don't know any about viruses. What is this microvirome? What is like? I know about the microbiome. I know about the microbiome, but I don't know about the microbiome. And so I was like, I'm going to fill in this blank and learn about this. And I was taking care of some people who had chronic fatigue syndrome. So I was studying chronic fatigue and I was like, why do people get chronic fatigue? Why do people think this is psychosomatic? There's clearly got to be something pathological because these people are not functioning normally. And I discovered that I read this woman, Amy Myhill. I believe she's an English doctor. She wrote a book called Chronic Fatigue Syndrome. It's mitochondria, not hypochondria. And it's a great book. And it's all about mitochondria. So I was like, whoa, how is it that Western medicine has missed this important facet of health, which is that myalgic encephalitis. Is the inflammatory result of infections that affects the body's, you know, energy systems. This is what chronic fatigue syndrome is. What's causing this, right? And I was like, okay, so if you get infections and your immune system is already at a low activity level because you have less energy to begin with. So somebody who's running on low energy capacity gets this immune response that's not fully activated when they get infections because they don't have enough energy to activate a full immune response. So it's kind of like having your alarm systems that are malfunctioning. And essentially what's happening is infections can get inside the cell and they can hide from your immune system inside the cell. And so now you've got these viruses and even some people get Lyme's disease or other intracellular infections that get inside the cell, they hide from the immune system and they hijack your metabolic machinery and they drain your energy further, which breaks your body, literally breaks you. And this is why we see significant problems with chronic fatigue after COVID. Because COVID is a very inflammatory virus, it causes an immune response, but if you already have poor immune function and poor energy output to begin with, it's going to hijack your machinery, it's going to drain your energy, and you're going to be depleted so significantly that you're going to have global energy deficits. You've got brain symptoms, you've got muscle symptoms, you've got heart symptoms, and you've got sensory symptoms. Wow. Keep in mind, I definitely did not put everything I would have liked to put in the book in the book because literally the last six months, I discovered a bunch of new treatments for these problems because I have clients that bring me all of what they're doing. And like one of my clients, he went to this clinic called Sanaviv and they did this fever therapy where they had his head cooled and his body's hyperthermic and literally burned off so many of these viral infections that he is like healing from chronic fatigue. I had no idea this was a thing that was like available. And then I did NAD therapy after I got COVID and it gave me the energy of like when I felt like I was in my 20s. So there's a lot of new stuff coming out that is very much on the edge of new science. Sounds crazy when you hear about it, but like it's working for people, which is really, really exciting and really hopeful.
1: NAD therapy is something that is definitely having a lot of buzz around it. What actually is it, and why do you think it is clearly having results? So, NAD therapy, NAD
0: is a cofactor in metabolism that helps essentially recharge the batteries of the cells more effectively. That's a simplified way of describing it. But basically, long story short, it's one of those things where, like, I didn't really believe in it, and then my friends were all doing it, and I was like, okay, one of my dear friends, Katrine is this absolute legendary human. And she cured herself of cancer twice in Chernobyl. She, she was exposed to um, radiation poisoning as a child. And so I really go to her for a lot of my biohacking tips because she's always trying the new stuff. And so she introduced me to NAD and I did five days of it. And basically, you know, it feels really weird when you're getting it. But by the end of five days, I mean, she combines it with um, this therapy called B. Uh, which is like a structured water inhalation therapy. It's really interesting. And then PEMF therapy, which is pulse electromagnetic therapy. It's like a a map that you lay on by the company Centrifix. And both of these things together, combined with the NAD and then these massive vitamin push you get at the end, you just feel like you're totally recharged. Like you feel like after five days, you're like, oh my God, what has happened? Like what is going on? And it's wild because like, it's actually had a lasting effect on my heart rate variability had a lasting effect on my stress resilience i think it's part of the reason why i've been able to get through this book launch so effectively because it like recharged me right after getting covid after burning man and i was like okay i can handle the rest of this year and there's a company called ion layer in america that my friend anthony gustin just founded and it's basically like nad patches that you can apply in your body and you can get nad more through ionophoresis which is using a positive and negative charge to push the molecules into the skin it's cheaper it's faster widely available by a prescription if you just call a company pharmacy. But you have to get it from a doctor.
1: That is really interesting. And also great to hear that NAD is becoming a bit more affordable because definitely the things on the market right now yeah. do seem really expensive. But, you know, if we had a room of 10,000 people and said, who feels tired here? I would say 80% would raise their hand.
0: 80% at least.
1: Everyone's exhausted.
0: Well, there's a few reasons for this, right? Like the fact is, is that we live lifestyles that encourage sedentary behavior. I mean, I've been in New York all week and I have not gotten solid workouts in. And I'll tell you what, I definitely feel far more energized when I'm exercising regularly. It's, it's harder to maintain good energy levels if you're not sending the signal to your cells to make more energy, you know? And that's what exercise does. And, and like the vast majority of people do not meet the minimum requirements for fitness. Vast majority of people are not doing the number one thing that reverses every hallmark of aging, which is exercise. Fortunately, I've been getting enough steps in New York, which I think is made up for a bit of the less um, intense exercise. But, you know, my, my personal preference is to do yoga and do weightlifting and, to, and re- I love riding my bike and I love to like do different types of exercise because it's the secret to aging well. But then um, a lot of people are pouring the wrong gas in the gas tank. You know, they're not eating the foods that are whole natural foods. They're eating packaged processed foods, fast foods and foods that just degrade energy metabolism because they cause metabolic gridlock on the, in the cell that when you're eating high fat high carb foods that are like all the packaged processed foods pies pastries pizzas people are eating giant portions mm. of foods that are high fat high carb and these giant portions basically it's like overtaxing the fuel tank you can't fit that much fuel in the cell so it starts backing up and it starts raising the blood sugar and it starts increasing the visceral fat because it has to go somewhere and if you already fill up all of your fat stores peripherally What you start seeing is you start filling up ectopic fat stores, which is fat where it's not supposed to be in the body. And when that happens, that's when you really start seeing metabolic dysfunction. So it turns out that BMI is not a very good measure of metabolic Mm. health. What you really want to look at is where is the fat in your body located? Because that's actually a bigger predictor of your metabolic health. And there's just as many people out there that are metabolically unhealthy and lean that are not obese, but they still are having metabolic dysfunction.
1: Am I right, just to clarify, that when you're talking about metabolic health, we are still talking about the mitochondria. We're still talking about the ability for the body to burn and create energy.
0: Yeah. So when you think about metabolism, thinking about your body like a car. So you got to fill the gas tank with fuel, but you're a hybrid car because you have the ability to use backup power and you have the ability to use gas. So carbohydrates are kind of like using gas, and then backup power is like burning ketones, burning fats. So when you're in ketosis or you're fasting, you're basically burning backup power systems and your fuel's shifting from carbs to fats. And that's one of the reasons why I write about ketosis and fasting in my book, not because I think everybody should go immediately in doing these things. The number one thing you should also, everybody should do is just eat whole foods. And that may take you years to accomplish, but that is literally the number one thing I recommend people do first is just eat whole foods. Eat individual ingredients as food. Cut out all the packaged processed foods or as many of them as you can. And focus on whole foods. And then try to cut back on stacking. And then if you're ready and you're more metabolically flexible, you can start experimenting with ketosis. Which is like lowering your carb intake, increasing your fat intake, and getting metabolically flexible. And metabolic flexibility can be measured now with this device called Lumen by Metaflow. And it's a company that I'm an advisor at. But they can measure what are you burning? Are you burning carbs? Are you burning fats? And then they will prescribe to you a specific personalized program for becoming more metabolically flexible. And if you're in America, my friend Amanda Truss has this program called The Faster Way to Fat Loss. Her entire program is about metabolic flexibility. It's about undulating your calories and doing carb cycling and not constantly eating high carb diets, which is causing a lot of problems for people. Just eating too many refined carbs and sugars.
1: One thing that you really specify is this is not about eating less, becoming more metabolically flexible. And I would love to kind of hear why actually fasting can not be great for women in particular. So
0: I was just on this TV show yesterday talking about fasting. And I think it's like so important that people know that fasting is not for everybody. It is not for you if you have eating disorders or a history of eating disorder. It is not for you if you're already metabolically healthy and super active and super fit and actually have low body fat and are working out regularly. Like you don't need to fast. You're already doing what fasting does. Exercise arguably is better for you than fasting and has a lot of the same benefits as fasting. But I do think that people who are not exercising, fasting is a substitute for exercise. If you are already ready and metabolically healthy enough to begin fasting. So typically the people who can do this are people who are already good at tapping into the natural fat stores. If you aren't, I would recommend starting with getting fat adapted, starting with ketosis, starting with with flipping the metabolic switch before you even think about fasting. But also for women who are going through menopause, it's a great tool in the toolbox because as our estrogen levels decline, our insulin sensitivity goes down. So it's a great tool for people who are going into menopause or perimenopause, for just maintaining your weight. But I wouldn't recommend it if you're undereating. Like, I really think that fasting is useful. But again, like you still want to get enough calories throughout the day, because you don't want to be trying to under eat and then also fast, because then you what you're going to do is just end up with thyroid dysfunction, or a significant cortisol release, because your body's going to be under a lot of stress. So other people that it might help for people with digestive issues, people with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, people with inflammatory bowel diseases. I've seen fasting actually help people go into remission from Crohn's disease. Does it help everybody? No. But is it a tool for people who have prediabetes and diabetes and polycystic ovarian disorder? Absolutely. Like it's actually best for people with insulin resistance. But again, I have a whole sequence in my book of how to start fasting. And it doesn't begin with fasting. It begins with whole foods, cutting back on stacking getting metabolically flexible through becoming fat adapted and then attempting more intermittent fasting slowly, not overnight, going into prolonged three-day fast.
1: What is the connection between thyroid dysfunction and fasting? Like why would fasting perhaps lead to that? So my theory
0: here is that women have a biological imperative to not only reproduce, but to keep the tribe alive, to keep children alive. So I think we adapted thyroid dysfunction as a way for our body to turn down the thermostat in order to turn down our metabolic rate so that we can actually live off of less calories. So a lot of what I think is thyroid dysfunction is actually a body trying to adapt to low energy availability. It's just a natural adaptive response. Now Hashimoto's is a little different. Hashimoto's typically I see after people getting lots of antibiotics, major gut dysfunction, major stressors. Autoimmunity is often a result also of like There's always a spiritual and psychological component to any physical condition. So a lot of autoimmunity does have roots in the way we have a relationship to ourselves. But specifically what I'm speaking about is like thyroid dysfunction secondary to just like low energy availability. Your body will just turn down the thermostat and say, all right, if you're not going to feed me anything, I'm just going to we're going to live off of less. And it's adaptive. It wants you to maintain as many calories on the body as possible so that you can survive a famine.
1: Dropping in to tell you about a company who is improving the way we walk, Vivo Barefoot. Vivo Barefoot are on a mission to create regenerative footwear that brings you closer to nature and your natural potential. Humans have evolved for over millions of years to essentially walk, move, and run barefoot, but modern cushioned shoes have impacted foot function and are now contributing to a movement focused health crisis in the process. That's why Vivo Barefoot's footwear is designed to be wide, thin, flexible, and as close to barefoot as possible. They promote your foot's natural strength and movement. And I can definitely say from my own experience, that feeling the ground beneath your feet really connects you to the world around you. I find it grounding, relaxing, especially after a day chained to emails at my desk. They are almost like therapeutic shoes. Vivo Barefoot has a great range of shoes for every activity so whether you're hiking, dancing or just want a comfortable pair for every day they won't disappoint. They're also sustainable and made of recycled materials so you're protecting the planet one step at a time. Vivo Barefoot are offering a 100-day free trial on their footwear and you can purchase yours today with an exclusive 15% off for our listeners when you visit www.vivobarefoot.com unwind. The link will be in the show notes. Many of us are in those cold winter months and my latest secret to unwind and relax is Stove. Stove is the company that creates the best heated chair covers and cordless heated cushions to keep you warm and cosy sustainably with infrared heated technology. Stove is like a warm hug and it not only warms you up It's environmentally friendly and saves you money It's quite genius if I'm being honest I've noticed that using my stove is far more efficient form of heating as it warms just me Making sure I'm always snug and comfortable instead of needing to heat my whole room Meaning I can turn my thermostat down those extra few degrees Even as I chat to you right now, I'm cuddled up with my stove fluffy infrared blanket so if you're interested in cozying up this cold season with a warm stove just head to their website uk.stove.com and i'll put that in the show notes to see everything they have on offer they have plenty of different colors and fabrics to suit your style also very excitingly i have 10 percent offer for you simply enter the code unwind at checkout it's the perfect reason to unwind during this cold season Chapter seven, you dive into blood sugar and you open with this quote, which really blew my mind. So I want to share this. In 2012, about 56 million people died. 620,000 died due to human violence. 1.5 million died of diabetes. Sugar is now more dangerous than gunpowder. I mean, that is just phenomenal that sugar is killing more people than wars. And our attention is so much more on wars than on sugar. So let's just unpack that.
0: I'm not going to say people should just completely eliminate all sugar all the time because, like, we have to be humans. When, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm having a birthday. I'm probably going to eat dessert today. It's my birthday. <laughs> but the problem is that there's literally so many people who are having a birthday every day and eating cake every day. And they're feeding their emotions with food. And as a result of that and being sent all these messages that you should eat all of this hyper palatable, hyper processed, refined carbohydrate and sugar laden food. That's damaging metabolism. It's just causing metabolic dysfunction. And it's contributing to diabetes. And it's also contributing to all sorts of conditions like cancer and dementia. So, like to me, sugar is really dangerous. I the first one of the one of the things that I recommend people do if they do have issues with sugar is try it for a month. Just go off of sugar for a month. It's really hard, but it's a really good practice. And, th- and there's a lot of people who do like dry January, but you can also do the same thing where you just take January and you just don't eat sugar for a month and you just see how your body responds.
1: Do you have any hacks to help people reduce sugar? Because I know if I totally took out sugar, I actually probably would crash in many parts of the day. Yeah, you
0: definitely need to have a game plan. So first and foremost, make sure that you know that you're allowed to eat fruit. You can eat fruit. The fruit has no evidence that it's linked to diabetes whatsoever, but I wouldn't drink a lot of juice. But definitely like have carbohydrates around, like you're gonna crave them. But also make sure to choose if you can, the lower glycemic fruits, Because they're going to be less likely to spike your blood sugar. But then I would also recommend, you know, I do monk fruit sweetener. Um, I like the Lakanto drops. I also like the sweetener called Katempe, And I do non-nutritive sweeteners. I do a little bit of stevia. But I try not to overdo them. But I do think that they are a good crutch for a month where you're not not eating sugar. Like having sugar substitutes during that month is going to make a big difference in your ability to handle the stress of going off of sugar. The thing is, you don't want to overconsume the sugar substitutes either because you're just going to end up causing SIBO. So don't overdo the sugar alcohols. You're going to end up with gas. Don't overdo the erythritol because it may end up causing dysbiosis. But have those non-nutritive sweeteners around so that you can get that taste because you're going to crave it. But you also, cutting out sugar may cut out a significant amount of calories. So if you're not trying to lose weight, make sure that you have healthy carbs around that you can consume that make you feel good when you eat them. I like like Nordic flatbreads, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're made of like sunflower seeds and flax and oat bran and like they're low carb, high fiber. And then I I definitely like made the mistake of eating too many gluten-free foods when I first started switching out from eating wheat because I don't tolerate wheat. And a lot of gluten-free foods are just going to be high refined carbohydrates. So you really want to look at what's the total amount of carbohydrate in the food and what's the total amount of fiber in the food. And personally, like I try not to eat things with more than like 10 to 15 net carbs, if they are like a refined carbohydrate product and making sure you time your foods, eat your foods in the right order, your vegetables first, your protein second, your carbs last. um, That's going to make a difference as well as keeping your blood sugar really steady. And then I do recommend a little bit more protein than the average doctor. I like to eat 1.6 grams per kilogram. It's a lot harder to eat than you realize, but that's what I do when I'm working out consistently. If you don't work out consistently, 1.2 grams per kilogram will probably suffice. But you do want to get enough protein to satiate you. That's one of the secrets to dealing with the cravings is making sure that you have satiety.
1: If we are able to balance our blood sugar levels, what and how does this then influence mental health and energetic health? Oh my God, so many things. So first of
0: all, it'll make your skin start to get really clear and bright. Like that's one of the number one things you see is you see less acne, you see less wrinkles. You see more light coming from your skin because you're not glycating that's the, those proteins and causing that dullness and wrinkling. Typically, if you get um, your blood sugar more stabilized, you know everything just seems to grow more effectively. So your, your hair will grow more effectively. You're going to see your, your nails grow more effectively. Typically, that's what happens when you're not constantly stressing the body out by getting these massive glycemic disturbances. Your energy levels and your mood and your, your focus should be more consistent throughout the day with stabilized blood sugar. This is why I do recommend a blood sugar monitor for all my clients because I want them to see what does it look like when your blood sugar is stable. It looks like you have a very smooth curve. Ideally, I try not to see your blood sugar go above 120 milligrams per deciliter after meals. That's pretty much optimal. Some people aim for 110. I think it's a little too strict for some people. So I do like try to aim for 120 or less. But you also see weight stabilization. It's very simple for people to keep a stable weight if Their blood sugar is stable throughout the day. And then on top of that, you know, it's great for fertility. You know, just getting better blood sugar is better for fertility and virility. That's a a big thing that people are trying to optimize for. But the bigger ones are things like, you know, less disease long term down the line. You're not damaging your blood vessels. You're not going to see as much hypertension. You're not going to see as many problems with diabetes and prediabetes, which are down the line.
1: It sounds almost like a no-brainer for us all to kind of engage in this in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Another point that you explain in the book is around leaky gut. And I know that for some people, this will be a new term. So what do we need to know about leaky gut and how is this associated with our ability to have energy or not? Okay, so when you're eating food and you start chewing it in the mouth and you're
0: breathing in oxygen and you're swallowing this food and it gets into your stomach and it starts getting degraded by hydrochloric acid you know it starts getting massaged and it goes into your small intestine then you start releasing all these enzymes you're sequentially breaking down the food until it becomes a liquid and that liquid gets mixed with all these enzymes and then it starts getting absorbed into these little teeny tiny fat droplets that get absorbed into the bloodstream and then they get taken into the cell and the cell starts to metabolize the sugars and the fats and the mitochondria and then essentially you're pulling off these electrons And you're literally creating this thing called the electron transport chain, which is powering a turbine and making an electrochemical gradient that's making a battery. Metabolism is actually kind of crazily complex. And it's taken me a long time to be like, oh, so that's how it works? Because it's like so complex. Even when I say it out loud, a lot of people are like, what's an electrochemical gradient? (laughs) Well, it's a difference between ions, between two layers that's causing a polarity. And polarity is life, as I mentioned at the very beginning, right? So when you have problems with digestion you're not getting all of these micronutrients absorbed that are necessary to power this metabolic machinery these gears and so what can happen is if you have not enough substrate then metabolism isn't going to work properly right it's just not going to it's not going to turn properly this is why it's so important for people to realize that if you have leaky gut what's happening is like food particles are getting absorbed into the tissues of the of the gut lining and they're literally the immune system is picking up on all these foods and saying i don't know what this is i'm not supposed to be seeing this and so it starts reacting to food as though it's foreign and then you start mounting immune responses to foods and so you start getting food allergies so this is a big reason why food allergies are actually a symptom of leaky gut more often than they are necessarily a problem with the food so the issue is you've got to heal the you got to heal the gut now certain food allergies like peanut allergies and like allergic reactions like anaphylaxis that's like a full-on your body's like literally reacting to the food as though it's like you know you're gonna you're gonna get a major immune response but a lot of food intolerances it's like an inflammatory response it's like low-grade chronic inflammation mm. where you just feel like crap and you just feel unwell and like i've had clients who go off of eating eggs and they say oh my god literally i'm no longer an anxious person because you got rid of this thing that was causing the anxiety and then we also healed the gut in these clients right So it's important for people to realize that there's a lot of things that can cause gut dysfunction, just too much stress and not chewing your food properly, just not being relaxed when you eat can cause leaky gut. Eating the wrong foods can contribute to leaky gut, but also like eating lots of the raw, like packaged processed foods, as I keep on mentioning, like a lot of these fake foods, these can contribute to inflammation in the gut. Alcohol. What does alcohol do? We use alcohol to clean surfaces to kill bacteria. You need bacteria in your gut to function, to digest food. So you're literally killing off the bacteria in your gut. And then you're putting this very caustic material into the mucosa of the gut. It's going to cause leaky gut. Infections can cause leaky gut. So there's a lot of different causes of leaky gut. But fundamentally, if you want to heal leaky gut, find a functional medicine doctor who can work with you or a naturopath to help you figure out like what's causing my leaky gut. Remove that problem. You got to replace the things that you need. So like, maybe you need digestive enzymes, maybe you need bile acid factors, maybe you need a little bit of HCL to help promote digestion. And then you want to re-inoculate with bacteria that would be good bacteria that can help you properly digest, properly assimilate food. And then you want to rebalance the body. You want to make sure that you get the right types of foods that can really nourish the mucosal lining. So you want to repair the mucosa. So slippery elm, Ion biome, fulvic acid, humic acids, turmeric, a lot of these like really nourishing herbs and products that can actually rebuild that mucosal layer. And then you want to rebalance your nervous system, make sure that you reduce your stress, make sure you heal your HPA mm. axis, make sure you really balance that stress response.
1: In the book, you really, in great detail, outline different natural supplements you can take for different ailments. I think there's definitely a lot of kind of misunderstanding around natural supplements, because of course, they're not like pharmaceutical medication where you take an aspirin, take an ibuprofen, and then suddenly it's blocked up pain. So what's your advice for navigating supplements? And also, how long does a supplement take to work?
0: So I like to test before I treat. But again, I listed a lot of stuff in the book because I think a lot of people don't have access to the lab that I use. But I genuinely believe that like, if we all had access to micronutrient testing, hair minerals testing, gut testing, hormone testing, we would just have more data coming out of our bodies to actually guide these decisions. But most of what I will recommend to average human who comes to me and is like, hey, what supplement should I take? Is like, let's cover the most common nutrient deficiencies. Vitamin mm-hmm. D, vitamin K1, vitamin K two, magnesium, and then B complex for those B vitamins to run metabolism and omega 3s. Like everybody needs these. And then certain minerals people also need, but hair minerals testing is like a hundred bucks. It's not, it's not expensive to do that. Basically, you know, your body needs not just macronutrients like proteins, fibers, and fats, but it needs micronutrients and phytonutrients to function properly. So I'm trying to always give people what their body needs. And I personally like to test before I treat, but generally speaking, you can benefit significantly from the most common nutrient deficiencies. And then typically I I tell people to try it for a month and see how you feel. Now there's also other supplements for sleep that I recommend to people, like you know, theanine, GABA, glycine, you know, valerian root, things like calming herbs. But a lot of what I've learned about taking herbs and supplements, if I've learned from naturopathic medicine and Chinese medicine and herbal medicine not mainstream medicine. So Mm. what I practice is a very much like a derivative of a lot of different medicine that is like sort of about personalized precision medicine.
1: It's like, what's, what does your body need? Really, really helpful. One thing you're very passionate about is improving the sexual spark. And this is a chapter everybody must read. What is reducing our libido and how do we improve it?
0: Oh my God. Well, so many things are reducing our libido, mainly our stress. Because like when you're under significant stress, your body's like, well, I'm not trying to reproduce right now. Why am I thinking about sex? Because I need to survive this crazy world
1: where Mm. in America,
0: like we had two mass shootings last week. That's not sexy. That's deeply, deeply, deeply traumatizing for people. And so to me, this is a big reason why we have a lot of sexual dysfunction in our country is like the amount of stress that we're under in this Mm. modern world. It's not conducive to good sex. But another thing that makes sex problematic for a lot of people is they're not in touch with their desires. They're not in touch with what actually turns them on because they're not thinking about it, right? Like not every woman is spontaneously aroused. A lot of women are responsibly aroused. So it takes time for them to have the sexual response to be cultivated. And we're not taught to how to cultivate arousal in our sex education. It's not even, we're not even educated about sex. So one of the things that I'm working on in my company Adama Bioscience is we're working on creating a protocol that teaches people how to get in touch with their bodies and become embodied with their sexuality and to become like in tune with their arousal and to actually start to learn how to create their own arousal in their bodies. So they don't have to expect their partner to be responsible for turning them on. They can turn themselves on. Which is actually what I wanted to call this book, Turn Yourself On, like a light bulb, but my (laughs) editors didn't like the title and so they wanted it
1: to be the spark factor. So I was like, okay, but the next book's Turn Yourself On. I absolutely love that Turn Yourself On, that's hilarious. Sleep, as we know, is critical for mitochondrial health, sex health, everything health. How do you wind down for bed? So lately, because I've been on a book tour, my sleep
0: latency has been like two minutes. Like literally, I I put my head on the pillow and I'm just asleep. So I'm arguably like a really good sleeper. And it's probably my saving grace for my health, like is the amount I sleep, because it's just the one thing that I do best. But I do have to say that like normally when I'm winding down in my home in Austin, is like I'm spending time in my living room doing some stretches, doing some biohacks, like doing some Theragun, doing some relaxation. Just like I have like biomats and infrared mats, and I'm just a big fan of like all of the biohacking tools for recovery. And then I'm really into like tonics and elixirs. So I make like relaxing tonics, like I'll make teas or I'll make, I love the company Superfeast from Australia because they have some really good tonic herbs. So I love making like an elixir Um, I've been trying this company Clever Blends from America and I love their stuff, but made of oat milk and it spikes my blood sugar if I have like the full serving. So I'll use like a tablespoon instead of three tablespoons of their oat milk latte. And that doesn't seem to spike my blood sugar. All these different elixirs. Like I love just like drinking something warm before I go Mm. to bed. So I just love to like turn down my nervous system with activities and with elixirs. And then sometimes I'll watch TV. I don't try and do too much television because blue light in my face means I won't sleep well. So I try to remember to wear the blue blockers if I'm going to watch like something. But what I will also do is I'll turn down the brightness on my screens and a brightness on my phone. And that does make a difference in my, like the blue light that's going into my eyes. And then sometimes I'll take a bath. I love bathing. I have a really beautiful bathtub. So I love taking a good solid bath with candles and just like tuning into my body and just like really getting my body totally relaxed. So I do love a good
1: wind down and I do love a good bath. Some of the research that you are currently doing on human connection is absolutely fascinating. Why have you chosen human connection to be your focus point in the next few years? I mean, the big one is,
0: is that I discovered that loneliness is worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, being sedentary and being obese. And I was like, well, geez, like we have all of these public health campaigns for people who are obese and not moving their bodies and like, smoking is like clearly a problem and yet we're not paying attention to disconnection like we should so i was like well why is connection so important and i started looking at human connection as a science and i was like wow there's like a major opportunity here to bring this into medicine and it's like clearly there's some good evidence science out there but it's not incorporated into our lifestyles and into our medical system at all and i just thought maybe we should start developing medicine around human connection so i built a company around it because i was like this seems really important and then I also just like looked at the blue zones and I was like, wow, all the blue zones have one thing in common. They all have community. They all wow. value community. And the thing is, the more people you hang out with, the more you move your body, the less mm-hmm. frail you are. So there's a connection between social frailty and physical frailty. So I saw this incredible, massive opportunity and just like, whoa, this clearly is the biggest lever that we can pull for longevity and happiness. Like there's an 80 year study on men and their progeny. And basically they discovered that like, close personal relationships were responsible for the most happiness of our lives so i was like man we should be optimizing our relationships like seriously looking at love as a science so i started recruiting all these advisors and i had this like pie in the sky idea like what if i build a company around the science of love turns out that like this isn't even like mainstream knowledge like we gotta bring this to the forefront we gotta start building products and services that give people outlets for learning how to love because turns out that a lot of people don't know how to do that and they hurt each other you know like they Mm. you look at a lot of these mass shooters in america they're disconnected isolated and then the moment they have some connection and they don't get reciprocated they go murder people this is the consequence of disconnection is people's brains break they break down they cause significant problems it causes suicide homicide and it's like the root cause of so many diseases in the dsm and on top of that like There's just a big opportunity to fix the loneliness epidemic because it turns out that one in seven men and one in 10 women are lonely, Mm. like seriously lonely. And that's a signal that they need to connect to their tribe. So loneliness is just a symptom of a greater issue of disconnection. So we need to stop calling it a loneliness epidemic because it's a disconnection Mm. epidemic and it's a lack of community epidemic. So I was just like, man, this seems like something we can really work on. This is not rocket science. We should be pouring billions of dollars into this. And I'm just going to figure out how how to make that happen. Couldn't be more of an
1: advocate for your mission. What's the best advice you've ever been given?
0: Okay. So, a long time ago, I made some really ballsy decisions with my career that have only very recently started to, I would say, like truly pay off the way that I anticipated. It took about 10 years, but it was worth it. So, I left mainstream medicine. I started my own practice. I started working with executives. I started working with startups. I started, I, I just like left the system and I started my own path. And it was like very much like, you'll never succeed. And I was like crying to one of my friends. What if I made a mistake? My mom called me a fool. What am I going to do with my life? And he's like, Molly, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody will. And I was like, pulled myself off the ground, wiped my tears. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get a job. And I literally like got mm. a job right out of my residency, working for a company funded by Peter Thiel. I met all of his doctors. Some of them became my mentors. And I became a figure in Silicon Valley because I I just had to go out and I had to blame myself because nobody at the time really knew who I was. My family and my community were like, you just left your residency and you left all your job security. What are you gonna do? And I did it. And you know, I went out and I built a career for myself. One of the the things I'm most proud of is like, I don't know anybody like me. Like I don't know anybody in the world that's like doing what I'm doing the way I'm doing it. So it's really validating because I literally just got a bunch of messages in the last few days because I was just on television and my family was all messaging me. We're so proud of you. And it's like 10 years ago, they were not saying that, you know, like they were not at all saying that. So I feel very much like I've completed a hero's journey once already. And now I'm like starting a new one with this new, you know, vision of building, you know, human connection medicine. But I love adventure and life is just like amazing adventure for Mm -hmm. me. And like, I don't know. I just feel really good about where I'm at in life. And it was really because I had a friend of mine who said, look, you don't believe in yourself, nobody will.
1: Oh, Dr. Molly, you're amazing. That is such an inspirational note to finish on. Um, So for anyone who's listening and wondering whether to take that decision, hopefully that will give you the nudge you need. Thank you so much, Dr. Molly. Where's the best place for people to find you and learn more or ask questions?
0: Yeah. Um, find me on Instagram at drmolly.co at drmolly.co. My website is www.drmolly.co. And Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter is at Molly Malouf MD.
1: Amazing. And happy birthday. Thank you. What a pleasure to spend it with you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed today, please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much. I'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so. My mental health book, Happy Not Perfect, is available to order now. The book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker, a skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you. So do shoot me a message on Instagram. Send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.